Well, I don't know if uh, we've ever started our passage with a more familiar verse, at least in today's world. I think that's the most uh, familiar, at least in the, the broad sense. Uh, I think it's replaced John 3.16. Everybody knows judge not, lest you be judged. They use it as like a weapon, bust Christians. But then it's capped off with a really weird one at the end, right? What in the world is Jesus talking about with pigs and dogs and pearls? We shall see if we can figure it out together. All right, let's jump into this. Uh, it's a famous passage, at least the first part. It's misused because it's taken out of context, though. And so let's see if we can remedy that, because what Jesus is saying there is something uh, really profound, really, really beautiful. It's hard. It's radical for the church, but it's, uh, it's so... It's, it's uh, transformative if we will apply it. So, like I said, I think it's no longer John 3.16 that's the most uh, well-known and memorized verse, especially by non-Christians. It, it is this one. It is, uh, it is Matthew 7.1. And they know it, man. Judge not, lest you be judged. I see, you know, there's memes out there about, you know, Christians making stances on um, different moral issues, right, and sexuality issues and things that are so ever uh, changing in our world, and, and people are like, yeah, these Christians are saying this, and they don't know that their own Bible says you're not supposed to judge, right? And it kind of, they, they think it's like this gotcha moment, when in reality, it, 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 it is a warning from Jesus. It's a warning. It's not a, it's not a prohibition, though. So he, he's going to say, hey, don't judge, but then he, right after that, he's actually going to tell us to judge. But we need to judge rightly. We need to judge with a proper um, heart, with a proper motive, and with a whole lot of humility and posture. And so that, that's, that's actually what he is saying. But um, the reason this is the most popular verse nowadays is because we live in uh, like a, a world of relativism, right? Relativism, right? Where it's, it's a postmodern society. Absolute moral truth is no longer a thing that we can all agree upon. And, and, and really, the only thing that is, is out of bounds nowadays, the only thing that seems to be out of bounds in our world, as far as what you could say is right or, or wrong, is, is we really just can't call anything wrong, right? Like, that's, that's where we've got to, where, like, it's, it's not about a truth. It's not about the truth. It, it's about my truth, Right, and that, that seems to be the, the, the narrative that is running through our culture. Is you know everybody has their own truth, and we don't need to get upset as long as their truth's not hurting you, right? Then why do you care about their truth? And 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 so this is the this is the waters we're swimming in, and it's messy, and it's philosophical, and it is it is hugely it has huge implications for where our our, our world goes going forward, because the worldly wisdom right now says, hey man, let everybody have their truth, but. The reality is, the, the truth is, even outside of, like, we're going to stand on the, the biblical authority here today and talk, but if, if people are intellectually honest, that is not a good place to go as a society, even if you don't have Christian morals, right? The idea of, of a pluralistic, relativistic society sounds like it should create peace, right? Just nobody call anybody out on their stuff and we'll all be good, right? Like just let everybody kind of do what they want to do. But in reality, that doesn't happen. If we don't have a truth, if we don't have a, a, a moral truth to, to, to ground us and, and to help us to stand firm, and then, then what do we use to mitigate and to say what's right, say what's wrong when it comes to how we treat one another? Because what if my truth says that, you know, it's okay for me to 
fill in the blank, right? And I don't mean to overstate this, but we really are in some strange times. We really are in some, some concerning times whenever it, it is okay. And, and I don't want to take sexuality issues lightly. I, I, we want to be a church that, that applies the gospel rightly to people who are struggling with sexuality issues, okay? And, and understand that that can indeed be a struggle, but that doesn't mean that we make or that we make new judgments about moral standings of God so that people don't feel bad about the struggle. It means we, we share in their struggle. We say, hey, we all need Jesus and the answer to all of our sin. My pride, my lust, my junk is no more damning than their sexuality struggles. And so we come to the cross together and let Jesus heal us all. We don't make permissions for different things based on the cultural tides and moments. But when, when, when we get to this place, like, okay, where we're saying, it, it, you know, if I want to identify as a different gender like we're taking a biological thing, a sacred thing given from God and saying, okay, as long as I feel like it, as long as it's not hurting you, I, I could change that. And, and we're talking about legal implications for that. We're talking about all those things. Like we just need to be intellectually honest and go, okay, now how far are we? If we're willing to go there, how far are we from, from somebody being willing to say that they identify as a juvenile, even though they're an adult grown man, so therefore you can't prosecute them for whatever they may choose to do to children. You see where I'm going here? Like, how, like, that's not a real far leap from where we are. So it matters that we have absolute truth. It matters that we have moral standards because when we don't and, and we, 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 we start to, you know, as a society, try to keep law and order and we start to try to, you know, keep this thing from going off the wheels, who's, arbit you know, who's the arbiter of these truths? And when you take a moral standing, a, an absolute truth out of the mix, it is not love and peace that enters in. It is power that will enter in. When I fill that vacuum is not everybody loving each other and, you know, kumbaya and peace signs. It's power. Read your history books. It doesn't go well. Right? This, like that idea, it, it sounds like, okay, that would be fine. Everybody would get along. But in reality, that's what leads to concentration camps and gulags. Like it doesn't go well. So that's why we have to be concerned about the, the, the truth. But, and Jesus is all in with us, right? With that. He's going to call us to hold to moral truths and to be, that's part of what it means to be the salt. He calls us to be salt and light. Like we're, we're going to do that. But he cares about how we do it. Care? He cares about how we do it. He cares about where we primarily focus our energy as far as calling one another out and, and caring for one another and caring for truth. He cares a lot about how we do it. And that's why he says, don't judge unless you also want to be judged. Don't judge not lest you, want, lest you be judged yourself. Okay, so here's the reality. We will be judged, right? But we want to be Consider it about how we approach this. So Jesus has a better way. This is, this is the, the wisdom of the world dealing with the complex issues. This is, this is the, the, the pattern. It plays itself out. It looks different in different portions of history, but it, it plays itself out over and over again. When you don't have the gospel, the, the, the answer to these, the questions and the longings and the, 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 the progress and the, you know, Movement of humanity ends up playing itself out in these relativistic ways over and over again. And, and Jesus is saying, no, no, that, that, like, that won't lead to healing. That won't lead to hope. Jesus has a better way for us. The Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom is here. The kingdom is here, and this is how the kingdom people should act. So Jesus has a better way. 
And that's what he's teaching us here. So right here, let's just, we're going to look at this um, in detail from Matthew chapter 7. He says, judge not lest you be judged, right? right. That's one of those like King James, it's really ingrained in me. So it, your, your ESV here says, judge not that you be not judged. Uh, for, the, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Okay? So what is he saying here? It, it's not that, that, that God is going to scale down your judgment. If you don't judge anybody, then God won't judge you. That, that, that's not exactly what he's saying here. He has his own standard, okay? We need to be clear on that. God has a standard with which we uh, will, in fact, we already have been judged. And, and what the judgment is, is we are all sinners. We are all, have been weighed and found wanting. We are not morally upright before a living God, period. And you say, well, who's we? It's all of us. It's all of us. It's you and it's me. And, 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 and right then, well, Jordan, who are you to pronounce judgment on me? It's not me. It's the Bible. The Bible says that we are all guilty. God says he looks at all of mankind and we are guilty, period. So that judgment's already been made. We are guilty. We have no standing before a holy God. No uprightness. It doesn't matter if we're better than so-and-so, better than our neighbor, better than whoever, right? Like we compare ourselves to really strange things like Hitler. Well, I'm no Hitler. Well, good. Congratulations, right? Like that's really not the bar we're trying to set here. But the reality is we all have fell short of the glory of God. We are all in his judgment. And so that's not what he's saying. He has his standard. It will be established. We have already failed it. And the, the first judgment that, that the Bible will speak of is really, what did we do with that guilt? And subsequently, what did we do with Jesus' sacrifice to, to wash away that guilt? So if you're here and you're uh, checking out Christianity and your question is, okay, like how can I be a good person and what... What, you know, what good things do I have to do to tip the scale in my favor so that whenever I do stand before God, you know, he'll consider me a good person and let me in. Well, the, the first thing you need to understand is the Bible teaches nothing like that. The Bible doesn't teach a judgment where you stand before God and, and he puts your good deeds in one side and your bad deeds in another. And as long as the good outweighs the bad, you'll be let in. That, 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 that's not how it works. As I said, we've already been given our judgment. And, and what the Bible teaches is that you have no hope before a holy God. You have no hope before a holy God except Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's able to stand before God with pure hands and a clean heart. Like he's the only one who's able to not be condemned to hell. And he stood in our place, took our judgment on his own shoulders, on his own body so that we could be saved. So, so you, it, this is not about some moralism, about do, be, becoming a better person so that you can please God. No, this is, this is about as we've said, rejoicing in the, in, the, in the death, burial, and resurrection that was on, uh, in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that was on our behalf so that we could be saved. So that's, that's the first thing. You have to be saved. You have to run to the cross of Christ and say, man, I'm a sinner, Lord. I need a Savior. I believe that Jesus is that Savior, and I'm making him the Lord of my life. And in that moment, you're born again. In that moment, you, you're saved and plucked out of your sin. You're washed clean. You're, you're your sins are, are uh, far removed as east is from the west, thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Like that is the beauty of the gospel that we rejoice in. And if you've not done that, that's the invitation that we want to just make as clear as possible this morning is that that's what, that's what the Bible is inviting you to. But in addition to that, okay, like once we are born again and brought into the people of God, now... He's transforming us and sending us to treat one another in a certain way. And there will be a subsequent judgment that 
uh, that, that is, how, how did you live your life, right? Like, what, what did you do for the kingdom? And it's not getting you in or out of heaven. And there's certainly mystery around this, this idea of judgment. But this, this, this teaching from Jesus here, that the judgment that you pronounce on, on others, that, that'll be brought back on you. That has both vertical and horizontal implications. And so uh, just first and foremost, it, the, the, the vertical implication, like, there is... Like, again, there's mystery around that, that, that second judgment, but what we do know is that you know, this, this passage sheds some light on it. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, Judgment without mercy, or for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What is he saying? He says, The person who has this posture of, of judging everybody and, and laying <clears throat> their judgment on everybody without any mercy all the time their judgment's going to be similar. Like that, that they're, going to, they're, they're going to receive a judgment without mercy because they gave no mercy. Again, that's not saying, oh, be merciful, and then he'll be, he won't judge you. It's saying this is kind of the reverse of the beatitude of blessed are the merciful. Remember if we looked at that, I don't know, a couple months ago now, where it says, hey, blessed are the merciful because they will be what? They shall receive mercy. Okay, so this is kind of the, the, the other way to say that. So, hey, when, when you have received the mercy of God, it should transform you into a merciful person. And because of the mercy that you've received from God, you're going to treat others with mercy. And when you, when you get to that place, the Lord will also treat you with mercy on the day of judgment. And, and that's, that's what is being said here. Uh, a, a way to maybe illustrate this, this is a, a pretty... Uh, famous illustration from Francis Schaeffer where he says it, it, it could be like this. This is, this is just him speculating a bit, but he says, if every baby, every little baby that was born, my kids have been watching Boss Baby in the, in the car lately, and they like, you know, babies are like just dropped out of the thing and, uh, you know, diapered up and sent one, way, one direction or another. If, every, if, if when that has happened, if every baby that was born uh, has a tape recorder hung around its neck, and if this tape recorder only recorded the moral judgments with, with this child as he grew into an, you know, an adult, every time that that child and you know, the, the, that human the rest of their life, every time they pronounce a moral judgment on somebody else, it records it. And it stays with them their whole life. Right? Now, these moral judgments might be lower than the biblical ones, right? It might be extra biblical things that they're placing on them, but nonetheless, they're still moral judgments. And eventually, each person comes to that great moment whenever we stand before God as judge, and he says, imagine it's like this then, that God simply plays that recording. That that's what judgment's like. It's just play, like that God plays that recording. And as you stand there before God, you hear all of the judgments that you've stated about other people, all the ways that you've bound other men up in your own moral judgment, and you could hear it going on for years, right? Thousands and thousands of moral judgments made against other men, not just aesthetic judgments, right, but moral judgments. And then God would simply say to the, to, to the man standing there with the tape recording going, said, and even though they've never heard the Bible, perhaps even, he says, now, where do you stand in light of your own moral judgment? And the point is the Bible says every voice in that moment would be hushed. 
right? Like that, even if that's the standard, even if you've never heard the Bible itself proclaimed and you're not, you're not holding yourself up against that standard, even if it was that, every voice would be hushed. Hey, and we know it's not that, but God does give us a standard, but, but that's helpful to think about how we treat and how we look at others, right? Nobody could deny that we would be on our knees, hopelessly condemned even in that moment. So again, James 2 says, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. All right, but this also has horizontal implications, right? Jesus is simply, it, it, this is another way of him saying, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. The golden rule, we're gonna get that. Like, love your neighbor, treat others the way you wanna be treated right now. So just, here's the question. Do you wanna be judged harshly by everybody? Do you wanna be judged on your worst moments? Is that how you want people to make judgments about you, right? Like, no, like what would you say to somebody who just judges you and they don't really know the story, right? Like you're like, hey, you, you want to explain yourself, right? Like you, you, you instantly kind of want to defend and, and tell them why, you know, yeah, maybe they saw you do that thing, but they need to know the backstory, right? They need to know why you did that thing, right? There might be, there might be context that's helpful and you would want to defend that, right? You, you would want to explain that in your, if you were being judged in that way. So Jesus is simply saying, hey, Make sure you give other people the same kind of grace, the same kind of mercy that you would hope to have. Make sure that you assume the best about other people instead of drawing your own conclusions and whispering among you know, everybody else to, to, to make your judgments about so-and-so instead of leaning in and finding out, hey, there may be more to the story. I remember, I, I've heard some stories even about you know, churches not doing, you know, just care for their, their staff well. And I, I remember even at, even at Aldi, like we just had a practice, I think handed down from corporate that before we were going to, um, you know, set an employee down and, and discipline them, right, and, and talk about their performance, that the first thing we would do is just hey, ask them, hey, how, how's it, how are you? Is everything okay at home? And you would be surprised how often it wasn't. They'd got a diagnosis or they had got some, some really hard news or bills or maybe their spouse had left or a child was sick or a parent, like, and you go, oh man, that just, that changes this conversation, right? Like your performance still matters and we'll get to that. Like we, like we, want, we don't want to just write that off, but, but okay, that helps me know how to care for you. Maybe you need a day off, right? You don't need me jumping down your throat about you know, how you put out produce. You used to go on home and care for your family, right? Like, and, and so it, it's that just kind of humanitarian, like, let's just be humans to each other. Let's just care about each other. That's what Jesus is saying. Like, this is another way of saying, just love your neighbor as yourself. You don't want to be judged off your worst moments or out of context. So don't do that to others, right? <clears throat> do that for others, which you would hope that they will do for you. Believe the best, give the benefit of the doubt, assume good motives. So, do we just stop judging altogether, right? That's the conclusion that many will come to. It's like, it just sounds like this is probably easier if we just don't judge each other. But that's not actually what he's saying. He's actually saying, as the people of God, we are to be concerned about each other. We are to be concerned about each other's hearts, about each other's sins, about each other's souls. But 
He wants to make sure that we're more concerned about our own sins than we are about other people. So let's, get, let's keep going in Jesus' teaching here. Verse 3 through 5 says this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Right now, this, Jesus is being funny here, right? He is, he is uh, exaggerating, using hyperbole. Like he's, like, and, the, and the idea of log, like you need to think big. In fact, for them, this would have been more like a, like a header beam in a home, like a girder beam like, that's going to bear weight in your home. Like that's kind of the idea. So it, it's a big exaggeration that Jesus is saying here. He says, why are you worried about so-and-so speck in their eye when you got this giant, like just picture like this giant beam this board, this log sticking out of your own. What does he say to do? And he says, you don't even notice it. In, in, in verse four, he says, how can you say to your brother, hey, let me, let me, let me take the speck out of your eye. When there's a log in your own, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So just real quick, he's actually saying all this to, to teach us how to appropriately help our brother with the speck, okay? So we're gonna get to that, but before we get there, he says, hey, you, you, gotta, you gotta make sure you've done the own, your own personal work of pursuing holiness, right? This is the, this is the back to you know, the Beatitudes of, of <clears throat> you know, pursuing and, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This is the, the last passage where he's talking about, hey, we, we fight viciously against sin in our life. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, right? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's, rather, it's better for you, know, you to make it to heaven without some digits than it is to let that lead you to hell, right? Like that's the kind of uh, posture Jesus says we should have about our own sin. And so if we're not doing that, if we're not worried about our own sin, then we don't need to be worrying about other people's sins. First, let's look here. Let's have some self-awareness. And this can be hard, right? It, it is hard to see ourselves rightly. Oftentimes, like we have a skewed version of ourselves, one way or another. Some of us think way too highly of ourselves. We think we're, we're really doing better than we are. We really look better than we look. We really act better than we are. People think higher of us than, than we do. We've got a, a wrong view of ourselves that way. Others of you have a really low view of yourself. You have a wrong view of yourself on the other end. You have low self-esteem. You don't think you have value. You don't think anybody would care about what you had to say, right? It's, it's hard to have a right perception of our own selves. I think one of the clearest examples um, of this need in the Bible is from 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's read it together. If you want to turn there, if you just want to listen, it's a story and it's about King David. And y'all, y'all know the story, but this is when da- this is when David is confronted for the mess that he got in with uh, by Nathan. And so, if you know the story, David is a great king, um, and he, man, the Lord uses him mightily. But things get to, get off the rails when he stops going to war with his men, and he's hanging out at the castle, and he's bored, and he sees a woman, he lusts after her, he takes her to his bedroom. And they sleep together and she gets pregnant and he goes so far as to try to cover up his, his tracks and, and, he, and he has her husband who has fought for him, is fighting for him in the moment, has fought beside him for years. He has him killed just so his own sin doesn't get discovered. So <clears throat> that's all already happened because she's pregnant. He has Uriah killed in, in the battle and, and he's trying to just go on with life. But the Lord won't have it, and exposes him to Nathan. And Nathan is going to model for us what we are called to do for one another as he confronts David. So this is in 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'll read it to you, just a few verses. But this is a story. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. <clears throat> he came to him and said to him, Hey, there, there were two men in a certain city, <clears throat> and one was rich and the other was poor. 
And the rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man, he had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it, or, or, and he brought it up, and, and it grew with him and with his children. Hey, what you, you picture that little lamb, right? He, he's, he's, he's talking this story up. He says, and, and it used to eat of his morsel, right? He's sharing his food with it and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or her to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So he's saying, I want you to, like, this guy, all he's got's one. This other guy's got flocks and flocks, but somebody comes and visits him. He's supposed to, oh, I got I to gotta, I gotta feed him a meal. I don't really want to give him one of mine. So I'm going to go take this other guy. That's all he's got, but I'm going to take it. I'm going to cook it for the, for the dinner for this, this traveler. <clears throat> he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse seven, Nathan said to David, you are the man. David, that's, that's you. You have done this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And as if this were too little, I would add to you much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite, your wife, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did in secretly, <clears throat> for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David is ready to jump on this man, right? He's ready to, he's ready to execute justice for this man who was wronged, and he's ready to, to, to make this man, he said he should pay with his life, and he should restore from his own flock fourfold. Completely unaware, no self-awareness of his own hypocrisy in that moment. And Nathan looks at him and says, hey, you, you are that man. What if, what if David says in that moment, hey, thou shalt not judge? Easy, Nathan, right? Which is what's happening in our world. Like, whoa, 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 don't tell me what I'm doing is wrong. Like, I'm, I don't want to be free to tell everybody else what they're doing is wrong, but don't, don't come at me. Don't judge, right? Unless you want to be judged yourself, Nathan. Let's go through your, let's go through your life, Nathan. You must be so perfect, right? Like, that's our posture, isn't it? Oh, let me, let me tell you about you, Nathan. Let me, I know a few things about you, buddy. You think you're just so self-righteous just coming here and calling me on my stuff? Thankfully, that's not how David responds. He responds in, in weeping and repentance, and, and there's more to that story. But the, the, the point for us today is that we need to be Nathan for each other. We need to be a people who, 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 who call one another 
out in love, that we, that we care enough to say, hey, listen, I need you to tell me when I got a speck in my eye. It's like when you go out to eat and you've been eating like some, you know, some greens or something and you're like, hey, would you tell, like, make sure you tell me if I got anything in my teeth, right? Like you tell your spouse, you tell your, your friends, like, don't let me go out smiling at everybody with a bunch of stuff in my teeth. Why? Like, it's harmful. Like, you know, just, just tell me. Like, we're supposed to be that kind of friends, that kind of family to each other here in the household of God, that, that that's what we're actually called to be as a people who we deal with our own, like, we're, okay, so we're supposed to be called to be Nathan for each other, but before we can be Nathan, we have to deal with our own sin. We have to take the plank out of our eye. And when we do that, that allows us to be Nathan in a way that will lead to healing and repentance instead of posturing up against. Now, I don't, like, we don't know a ton. Nathan was a faithful servant and, and, um, and friend and prophet for David, but it carries more weight when a guy like Nathan comes with humility and he comes with sincerity than when somebody comes with condescension and comes with pride and just calls you out, right? And so Nathan had earned the right to come to David that way and it, and it led to David's healing. And that's the point. Jesus says, hey, I got a better way for you to interact with each other. You don't have to take away all judgments so that nobody gets offended. In the household of God, we can care for one another in such a way that leads to healing, that leads to people being restored. So first, if we're going to be that kind of Nathan, we got to do the work of taking the plank out of our own eye. And Jesus says, because when you do that, you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of other people's eye. And that, that makes sense, doesn't it? Like when you have, have, have taken a moment to actually hold, hold your own self accountable to God's standard, that will lead to humility, Right? When you realize you have been shown mercy, you will show mercy to others. But first, you have to understand that you've been shown mercy. If you don't think you needed his mercy, you're not going to have it for anybody else, right? You're going to look down and say, well, I don't know why they can't get it together. I did. But when you've been crushed by the law of God, when you've been crushed by the, the moral standard that God holds us to, and you realize you can't stand before God, and then you've been healed by Jesus on the cross, and you've been lifted back up, now you have a different posture when you look at your brother and your sister in sin. And he says that is what allow, will allow you to now go care for the speck, because the speck matters. We, we've been, like, the, the log is, is such a, a, an exaggeration, we kind of get caught up on that, but have you ever had something in your eye? That like, you can't get it out. Like sometimes you can just like pop it out quick, but you've had that thing that you can't get it out and it is scratched and now every time you blink, like that shuts down your life, doesn't it? Like you can't just keep functioning. Like you can't go out and drive somewhere or work at your computer. Like all things have come to a stop until that is healed, until that is taken care of. Like a, a, a thing in your eye that is scratching, you know, when, when you, like it, it is a, whoa, my life is at full stop until this gets healed. So a speck in our eye absolutely matters. Sin in the life of a believer, of a brother or a sister, absolutely matters. So we need to be a people who can call each other out, but how we do it matters. First, with humility, that we are more concerned about our own sin than we are others. Okay, that's what Jesus wants for his people, for us to be a people who are more concerned about our sin than we are others. And when we've done that, we will come with humility, we will come with care, and we will, as it says in Galatians, seek to restore our brother. It says, Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2, it says, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
It says, but keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Like that's the context. Matthew 18, we'll, we might look at it in a moment, but that's the, that's the context of caring for one another in that way is that we have become a people who have been changed by the gospel and therefore we are, we are able to care for one another and speak truth into the world, right? That when we've taken the log out of our own eye, now our voice, whether we're calling out our brothers and sisters in the church, which is primarily the context here, or whether we're making stands about moral principles in the world, it has a different weight whenever we're actually living it out, whenever we've actually been humbled ourselves, right? Like whenever we are people who are more concerned about our own sin and we speak up to the world, now they're not able to throw the hypocrisy thing with the same level of weight because we've actually done the gospel work to be healed ourselves. So we need to be Nathan for each other. We've got to deal with the plank first. How do we do this? How do we actually, right, like care for each other in the way that he's laying before here and saying, okay, do we, do we really have to call out specs? Can't we just let them deal with their own spec? But the idea is like, they, don't, they may not know they have the spec, but it is harming them, right? It is, it is destroying them. So we are actually supposed to call each other out. We are actually supposed to restore a brother. But how? Well, the metaphor here helps us a ton. Let's just stay with the metaphor. How are you going to get something out of somebody else's eye? Well, you're going to be careful, aren't you? Like, that's an ordeal. I, we had one of our, well, my, my most, like, my daughter that, that does not like anything near fate, like getting a splinter out of her is like we got to sedate her, right? Cleaning her, we have, like cleaning her ears out is like, it, it's, it's all hands on deck at the house. One time we went out, I took the kids deep in and hiking and ticks don't bite me and poison ivy doesn't, I'm not allergic to it. So I, I just, I don't care about spraying. Just never have. And, uh, and so that, I, I, I forget that my kids need to be sprayed with bug spray, and I just, I didn't do it. And one time we got into this little mite, like tick mite, turkey mite things, and they got all over her in particular. She's got that, that kind of blood. They don't want mine. They want, like, and, and there was one on her eyelid, like right on her eyelid. I was like, I don't, I don't even know. Like, I, let it grow a little bit, I guess. Like, let it... <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, let it suck some blood so it gets a little bigger so we can get a hold of that thing. Like, we're going to poke her eye out if we get a tweezer. Like, we get tweezers down there to try to get that out. We're going we're gonna to poke her eye out. Like, so we had to be really, really careful. I don't remember how we did it. We, I don't know if we let her go to sleep or what. But, um, like, you're going to be careful when you, when you approach somebody to get a speck out of their eye. Right, carefully and thoroughly. Like, carefully and thoroughly, right? Because you don't want to, like, yeah, okay, they might be squirming, they might be done with it, but you don't want to like quit before it's all the way out, right? Because now you're going to have to get back in there, you're going to have to start all over. So carefully and thoroughly, okay? So how do we care for each other? We, it needs to be done that way. Matthew 18 walks us through this, this, uh, this progressive set, set of, 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 hey, if someone sinned against you, you, you t let's just go there. Let's flip over. Matthew 18. I don't want you to see this is me. Not, we don't, this is not a real popular um, passage to preach on. So let's just look at Matthew 18 together. Starting in verse 15, he says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. Okay, so that's, that's part of the carefulness right there. Okay, if your brother sins against you, what do you do? Make a Facebook post about it. Make sure everybody in your group knows about it. An announce it at work so that everybody knows how wrong you've been. No, no, no. What does he say? Be careful. Like, 
This is how you be careful. You go to him between you and him alone and you tell him, brother, like that hurt. Brother, you are, you are in sin. And the heart is, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So what's the heart there? It's to restore him. That's the heart. And, and, and listen, if he listens to you and he repents, that's it. It's over. This is, this is outlining what we would call church discipline. And that's a word that freaks us all out. We think, okay, that's a public airing of everybody's like, you know, issues. Like, oh man, they're going to put like my face on the screen with like my list of stuff they saw me do last week. No, th- th- this, is, this is caring for one another. And first step is, hey, just be really careful. Don't tell anybody else. You might be wrong. Assume the best, but go to them and, and say, hey, I see this. Can we talk about it? And if they say, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry. And they repent, it's done, we move on, we restore, we hug, we, we pray, we, we move on. If they don't, if he does not listen, listen to the carefulness here, but also the thoroughness, right? Because some of us, we'll, we'll maybe take one shot at it, but if they didn't listen, we'll just back out. Like, ah, we don't want to be too high and mighty, right? Some of y'all are okay with being careful. You'll buddy up with a friend and you'll kind of you'll like joke with them or like tease them about their drinking problem. Like, yeah, you, you know, you should probably back off a little bit. But like, like no, if, if there's an actual issue, they're getting drunk regularly. You need to sit down and say, hey, this is not okay. Right? So some of us are okay with being careful, but we never get to the thoroughness. And you see how that's just as harmful, right? I'm getting the speck out of the eye. But on the other side, you can be thorough without being careful, can't you? You just come in and blow somebody up and not care about how it affects them. You need to do both. How does Jesus say to do that? Okay, well, for, go by yourself. But then if he doesn't listen, verse 16, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so again, there's carefulness there, but there's also thoroughness. We don't want to let this brother stay in their sin. We want to call them to loving repentance, right? And, and again, if they're restored, you're good. You, you move on. It's, it's done at that point. But if he refuses, in verse 17, to listen to them, then tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, then let him to be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? We should love each other with that kind of love where we call each other out carefully, thoroughly, gently, with humility, but we call each other out. We care about each other. This is, you know, again, so it's not about not judging. It's about making sure we're caring more about our own sin than we are other people's, and then we're rightly approaching with humility, and, and we're, we're making calls about things that are absolutely right and wrong. And we, listen, some of you are like, well, I, I don't know. I mean, how am I supposed to know? Maybe, you know, maybe... Maybe it's not a sin. And like, well, we don't have to guess. Like we have the Bible, right? Like these should only be things like that, that we're calling out. There should be clear scriptural like grievances that like, if you're not sure, you don't have all the details, you think maybe they're doing that. Well, you know, you're, you're not going, right? But when it's really clear, there's sexual, you know, um, immorality happening. Whenever it's really clear, there's, there's a perpetual um, you know, pattern of sin in their life, then, then we're called to go. Like we're called to, to step in that way and to clearly, like we've done our own work, we're coming with humility and now we, we come to take the speck out of our brother's eye. Okay, that we need to be Nathan for each other and part of that's gonna require us giving the Nathans permission. Okay? So when you're at dinner and you know when you're eating some asparagus or something that's likely to, you know, stick between your teeth, that, like, you're prompted, like, hey, hey, anything in my teeth? Will you tell me if I do? 
we're going to have stuff in our spiritual teeth. And you just need to know you're going to struggle. You're not going to be able to see your own self clearly. So that's why we have community. That's why we do life in groups together so that we can have a smaller group of people. Right? Because we, you know, we don't want to just like take turns standing up in front of here and be like, all right, anybody got anything they want to correct me on? Like just large group style, right? It'd be awkward. We get smaller, we get in community, right? And then we get even smaller, maybe just the dudes in that group, right? Maybe just maybe one or two families in that group and you say, hey, I want to give you permission to be my Nathan. And, and, and you're, you're here and you're like, whoa, is this church really gonna do that? They're really gonna tell somebody if I don't repent? Wait, here's the only people that we would execute this on here at The Journey. It, it's, it's members. So here, here at The Journey, we have a membership process and we walk through uh, what we believe and who we are and what it looks like to be a part of the journey. But one of the things is, is we say is like, hey, we're, we, we plan on implementing this. We plan on following this. And so you need to know that, you know, if you, you come on board here, we're giving you permission for us as elders and, and you're giving us as elders permission to do this for you and we're gonna, we're gonna care for each other this way. And if I'm in a pattern of unrepentant sin, I should expect to be called out by y'all and vice versa. So in a membership process like that would be how it would happen. Right? Like, those are the people that have, have, have covenanted together. It's in our covenant. Like, hey, we, we're, we're giving permission. We're, we're laying our lives together. We're going all in with each other. We're making a covenant that this is how we're going to do life together. So that's what membership looks like here. Right? So it's never, we're never going to do that on a Sunday morning. Like, and, and it's so rare, praise God, that you get to that final level of church discipline where you have to tell it to the church. Almost all of this, this kind of love ends at steps one or two, praise God. Right? Like that's, it almost always ends when the brother comes and confronts because when we have the spirit of God in us, we are, we are prone to repent, right? Like he leads us to repent. But on the occasion that, that there's a hard-hearted brother or sister that, that will not, that will not, then we keep loving them. We don't just back out because they're squirming and it gets really hard. We're gonna keep loving them as thoroughly as we can. We've been as careful as we can. We wanna keep loving them as thoroughly as we can. And if we did need to tell it to the church, that would come in the form of a member meeting, not a Sunday morning, right? And that would come with, this, with the least amount of information as possible to communicate the truth that, hey, we're having to treat this brother or sister as though they're no longer a, a Christian. And what does that mean? Well, we don't talk to them? No, you should be talking to non-Christians. You should be loving non-Christians. You should be preaching the gospel to non-Christians, right? So if we had to pull a brother or sister out of our fellowship and say, we can no longer affirm them as a, as a, as a believer in Christ, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to pray for them. We're going to love them, right? We're not going to let them take communion, right? We're not going to let them make a mockery of God, but we're going to love them. We're going to, like, in most cases, they're still going to be welcome to attend here. We're going we're to love them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to preach to them, right? Because that's how you would do a non-believer. But we have to care for each other, right? So, so that, that, I got a little bit more on the church discipline than I intended to, but this is what he's calling us to love each other. This is how he's calling us to love each other in the community of the kingdom. More concerned about our own sin than we are somebody else's. We're dealing with our planks before we dare step into somebody's speck. But when we do it, we're gonna do it carefully, we're gonna do it thoroughly. And this is a holy thing that leads God's people to heal and to flourish and to thrive. You think God doesn't care about the hypocrisy in churches? You think the non-Christians are the only ones willing to, like, to call out the hypocrisy that happens when mega church pastors and small church pastors make a mess of their life and the people around them are just living no differently than the world? You think, he's the, you think that non-Christians are the only one that like the word hypocrite? Jesus just called us hypocrites. 
He cares more than they do about our lives aligning with what we say it should do. And if we're gonna align our lives with the gospel, we're gonna need one another to call each other out, to care for each other. Like we have to, to and, and this will allow us to have a witness that bears weight. Okay? Our world needs us to speak up. They need to know it's dangerous if we take away all moral standards. They need to know it's dangerous. But if they're going to listen to us, we need to get the planks out of our eyes. Right? Like we need to be just like more concerned about our own junk than we are theirs. That will give a different amount of weight. So that's kind of the what, the how. Like, but this is kind of gives some explanation to the verse six, which is a really weird verse, right? Jesus, like, it was right from the, the metaphor about the eye and the speck. Verse six, no transit, like, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What in the world? Right, like, like there's a lot, like, commentator, commenta- like commentator writers don't know what to do with this verse. They're, they try to make some explanations and, they, and a lot of them make the connection that it, this is about, like, knowing whenever you're preaching the gospel to a town or to a person and they're no longer, they're not receptive, so you move on. I think there's some relevance to that, but I think in context here, what Jesus is saying is, hey, like he's saying, you do what we just talked about. You love one another in the church this way. Don't go to your, like, to your family you know, reunion and start doing Matthew 18 stuff. Calling out uncle so-and-so for, you know, hey, we, we've all talked, right? <laughs> We're really concerned. Like, no, he's saying, you gotta love each other within the church this way. So he's using the idea of pigs, pigs and swine. These are Jewish people. They have a lot of pride in their, their Jewish you know, heritage. And so he's saying, like, listen, don't, don't go out into the world and start by just calling out their, their personal sins. You know, start by calling, like calling them to repent of the gospel. Okay, but once they've repented of the gospel, we love each other in this way. We deal with each other's specs. We love each other in that way. But don't, don't do it to, to just random, you know, coworker. Now, listen, there are going to be times whenever there's people in your life that are not in your church that you need to go ahead and speak up and tell them that where they're headed is harmful. Okay, but, but as a general rule, you need to make sure you have the same posture of humility, the same sort of relationship with them that they're going to hear it from you the way that David heard it from Nathan and respond, hopefully, in a way that leads them to, to, to turn from that sin. Right? But we don't start by, we don't expect non Christians to act like Christians until they become Christians. Is that making a little sense? When you're interacting with the world, don't call out their, their individual personal sins. Like, call them to repent of sin in general and receive Jesus. Don't expect them to act like Christians if they're not Christians. Instead, invite them to become Christians. Okay? I, I don't know if we're tracking yet. Don't expect them to act like Christians if they're not Christians. And therefore, start pointing out this sin, that sin, this sin, that sin. Instead, invite them, compel them, proclaim to them the gospel so that they can become Christians. Okay? So Jesus says, don't, don't, don't give dogs what's holy. Like, this kind of loving each other, we, we shouldn't expect it to go well outside of the church. But inside of the church, it's a holy thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's a healing thing. Okay, calling out each other's sins should never be something that we do for sport. Okay? 
If you ain't doing it through tears, you, you don't need to do it. Because we're always doing it to heal. Okay? And I don't know if you've had somebody love you in that way and call you out to keep you from harming yourself and others. But if you have, you know that you were grateful for it in the end. Hebrews, Hebrews says, no, no discipline's fun in the moment. Well, we know that a good dad disciplines and discipline always leads to a harvest of righteousness in the end. It's always good. And so God may be asking you to be that person for somebody else so that they can heal, so that they can grow. So, yeah, a big warning light. Don't judge unless you also want to be judged. You're judgmental. People are going to be judgmental toward you. You don't show mercy. You're not going to receive mercy. Big warning light over being a judgmental person. It's important to note, Matthew's talking to religious people here. Like the, the, the book of Matthew is written to religious Jews. Like, and, and they're used to, they're, the, and this is the problem the world has with the church. Like, we're really good at judging the world's sin, right? But really bad at judging our own. And that's probably not even the right language because it's not that we're good or bad. It's not a matter of skill level. We're really willing to judge the world's sin. Not so much with ours. Jesus says, you hypocrite. So, the gospel is the truth that we've been shown mercy. If you don't know what mercy is, you deserve hell. Mercy is not getting something that you actually deserve in the terms of punishment. You've been given mercy. So if we actually are a people who have been radically treated by the God of the universe with mercy, we'll be a people who treat others with mercy. So the answer here is to look at the cross. The answer here is to be overwhelmed by the mercy of God. And that will help us to rightly treat each other. Okay, let's pray. God help us. Help us because we need it. <clears throat> help us to, to rightly receive and to apply and respond to your word. I pray that around this room we would receive the gospel. If there's here, there's those here who have never encountered your mercy in that way, they're still trying to, to gain their righteousness through their deeds, I pray that this morning they would receive the gospel and be saved. And for those of us that belong to you, help us to be so radically transformed by the mercy you've showed us that we become a people of mercy, but a people of love, and that as we transform our own lives and one another's lives by lovingly living out the community you've called us to, that then we have a, an ability and a witness to impact the world. So take us, the journey SI, and shape us into your people as we respond, as we reflect. Holy Spirit, come and move. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.